0: this morning we're um, in week three of our no matter what series um, and we're going to talk about about right priorities keeping our perspective and let's just real quickly if this is your first time here let me just give you a nutshell of where we've been in the last two weeks we've learned that following the right person leads to the right place and that being full of the right power is what frees us from the fear of going public so jesus is the right person right We talked about being tethered to Jesus, like the bungee cord thing. And then last week we talked about the Holy Spirit. Daniel distinguished himself because he had, what the Bible says, an extraordinary spirit in him. And so as Christians, we have the most excellent spirit within us. We have the Holy Spirit, and that's what separates us and sets us apart. And when we have the Holy Spirit, it gives us confidence to share with others the hope that we have in Jesus. So um, as always... And you probably get tired of hearing this, but you shouldn't. Jesus is who matters most. Okay? We are a lot of things at the gathering. We're trying to, you know, we're growing. We're, we're doing, we do small groups. We, we get in people's homes. We talk. We serve the city. We do lots of things. We do Sunday morning. But at the bottom of it all, the foundation of everything is Jesus. Right. Jesus is what matters most. And so here's I told you that from the beginning, the one sentence to remember for this entire series, if you remember this, you're home free. We can stand no matter what, when we know who matters most. And that's Jesus. So last week we were in Daniel six. We um, talked about Daniel being set apart. And then today we're going to be back in Daniel. You can turn to Daniel chapter three. We're going to talk about three men who found another principle for any of us that want to live with a no-matter-what attitude. And here's the big idea this morning. You can write this at the top of your sheet. When we're focused on the right priorities, we become fireproof. When we're focused on the right priorities, we become fireproof. Daniel chapter 3 That's a great little sentence, isn't it? When we focus on the right priorities, we become fireproof. The problem is we don't have any idea what it means. It sounds good. Fireproof, that sounds awesome. So let's talk about what fireproof isn't and what fireproof is. Number one, fireproof doesn't mean fire free. It's kind of normal, I think, for us to expect that if we learn enough, do enough, achieve enough, We'll kind of get to this place where bad stuff can't touch us. Is that kind of, it's kind of an expectation we all have. It reminds me of when I um, I first started running and it was hard to run because, you know, you're near death all the time. (laughs) And so I just told myself, if I run enough, it'll get easier. But if you've ever run, if you've ever played any sport, done anything that requires you to be near death while you're doing it, you realize it's never really easier, just easy kind of changes. You're always pushing the, pushing the envelope a little bit. So I kept thinking, if I run, you know, if I run enough, I'll be able to run a marathon and never be tired. <laughs> and that's stupid, right? I mean, of course, if you run a marathon, you're going to be tired. So I think sometimes in our faith, we fall into the same trap. We start thinking, if I read the Bible enough, and there's nothing wrong with reading the Bible, right? That's a good thing. If I pray enough, and it's good to pray. If if I go to church enough, and there's nothing wrong with going to church, right? Okay. <laughs> We're together, me and you. You know, there's nothing wrong with going to church. But, you know, we kind of start thinking, if I do enough things, if I go to church on Sunday, and, you know, if I go on Wednesday night to a, a community group, and then if I show up every Every now and then on a Saturday and hand out the church and at a laundromat. I mean, if I can do those three things, then I'm going to get to the place where nothing bad can ever touch me. And that's a lie. That's a lie. And that, what I love about this is that if there were three men who probably could have felt like nothing could ever happen to them that would be bad, it would be Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Because here's what we learn in Daniel chapter 3. It says, if you go back, you don't have to turn back there, just write down Daniel chapter 1, verse 20. It actually says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were ten times better than the people around them. I mean, if anything makes you do this, oh yeah. It's knowing that you are ten times better than the person around you. I mean, we could do infomercials with that, couldn't we? We could, like, late at night, we could have infomercials. Hey, want to know how to be ten times better than your coworkers? Yes. Want to know how to get ten times more money? Yes. Send us 99, 99. You 99 know, And we'll give you the secret of three men who were ten times better. I mean, that's a good thing. They had set themselves apart. They, were, they didn't think they were. They actually were ten times better. The very first thing we learned from their lives... In this story, is that there is no position that is immune from hard times. And so, the people that we prayed for this morning, let me just talk to you for a second. It is a lie from Satan for us to start thinking, if I could just do something more, I wouldn't be in this place. Now, I'm not discounting that we have a responsibility to make good choices, and all, but I'm telling you, learn from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can make all the right choices. You can even, as it says at the end of chapter 2, they were put in authority. They were were one of the leaders, three of the leaders in the king's court. They made all the right decisions. They had even earlier, like, eaten vegetables instead of steak just to prove that God was on their side. They were ten times better. They did everything right, and they were still not fire-free. It is a lie from Satan when we start beating ourselves up and saying, if I had only, if I had only, what if I'd done, what if I'd done that? You know what? You could have done everything right. And these men's lives will show us beyond a doubt that we're still susceptible to fire. Being fireproof doesn't mean fire free. I I don't want to be, you ever watch Saturday Night Live? Debbie Downer it's going back. I don't want to be a downer here. But look, just because you follow Jesus doesn't mean that you don't have challenges. We follow Jesus. We have challenges. Because being fireproof doesn't mean fire free. Now, before we get to the second point, I want you to write this statement down, okay? And we're going to unpack it, and then we're going to move to the second point. We're like going fast this morning. Aren't you excited? Awesome. Thank you so much. Here's the statement. The fire is usually lit by a conflict of interest. The fire is usually lit by a conflict of interest. I watched last night as the Miami Heat beat the Celtics. Um, actually kind of destroyed the Celtics. I mean, the second half wasn't even close. And so if you're a Heat fan or if you follow the NBA, then you know when I say the big three, you know who I'm talking about, right? Bosh, Wade, and, and James. In this story, we got the big three. We got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay, so here's what they knew. They had said early on, by the way, that they they fasted differently, they ate differently than everybody else, they were living their lives differently. They had made it very, very clear that God was the number one priority in their lives. And so the conflict lights the match for the fire that they get thrown into. And here's the conflict who's going to be first? God or their boss, because what we're going to read in chapter three is their boss, King Nebuchadnezzar. Aren't you glad you weren't named that? (laughs) He had a horrible elementary school experience. King Nebi, what's up, Nebi? Maybe call him Cud. I don't know. It's just weird. What a weird name, Nebuchadnezzar. He decided that he's going to build this huge statue. 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. 90 feet high, that's 30. That's 9 stories, right? That's huge. 90 feet high, 9 feet wide. He builds it, and he says, you know what? When we play the music, get ready to cue the music. When we play the music, everybody go down. Just bow to the idol. Well, now there's a conflict, right? There's a conflict of interest because the big three are like, we don't bow to people that aren't Jesus or that aren't God. So we're not bound to your idol. And he says, no, but, but I'm your boss. And so I rule over you, not to mention I'll kill you. So they think, well, we value God. We value our boss. We value our lives. There's see the conflict of interest right there. And that's what lights the match. The conflict's the conflict of interest is usually what lights the match for the fire that we find ourselves being thrown into. It's easy to see that the fight for the right priorities is really a fight against idolatry. And I kind of hate to mention the word idolatry because we don't talk about that very much anymore. Like idolatry, that's old school. Nobody has idols anymore. But what is idolatry? Idolatry is really just misplaced priority. Exodus 23 God said, you will have no other gods before me. And so we live in a world that competes for more of everything, right? I mean, you ever feel like you're too busy? Because the world that we live in competes for our time. You ever feel just tired? Because the world we live in competes for our energy. I mean, I know that we can all relate to wishing we had more money. Because the world we live in competes for our resources. I mean, that's the world that we live in. And so we're always running up against these conflicts of interest. Like, I know that Jesus is supposed to be number one, but then I got this and I got this, and, I, and they're all great things. And then at the end of the day, you're just like, ah, oh, what do I do? And this is all about idolatry. Sets up this huge, would it be easy for us if our idols were 90 feet high and 9 feet wide? Because then we could just identify them, couldn't we? Like, oh, yeah, that's not a good, I'm not going to bow to that. We don't have that. Our idols seem to be invisible. Let me throw one out to you just as an example. Don't throw things. Put down sharp objects right now. What about relationships? What about friendships? I heard a man say one time, he said, the number one idol in America is friendship. And I kind of went, huh? That's what? And he said, but here's why. Because you won't tell your friend the truth because you're scared you'll lose your friend. So what matters most? What priority wins out? Not the truth. Some of us won't even have conversations with friends about spiritual things because then they might not want to hang out with us. They might not like us anymore. And at some point, there's a conflict of interest. I value the friendship. I value Jesus. Which do I value more? Just as an example, I mean, the kind of idols that we struggle with, they're not... 90 feet tall, tall. they're not easily identified. We can't look at them and go, oh, there it is. You have to ask yourself, where does my time go? Where does my money go? Where do my thoughts go? What's always on my mind? And that's the idol. That's where the conflict comes in. What do we give our most to? When you and I determine to live with Jesus as the right priority over everything else that's important, we get some pretty interesting reactions, which is exactly what the big three got. Here we go. Look at verse 6. Whoever does not fall down to worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. That's not hard to understand, is it? Like, immediately. The the word actually means after a brief time. Very brief. There's, like, no trial. No jury deliberation. It's just... What we're going to do is we're going to play some music, and if we were all standing up right now and we played music and everybody bowed down but say, you three, would you stand out? Yeah. It would be pretty easy to identify, right? So there's not really anywhere to hide. And then according to this, what would happen is immediately we would just throw them into a fiery furnace. Thankfully, that's not really going to happen this morning, right? <laughs> like, they don't even get a chance to go, wait, 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 we didn't hear the music. No, oh, no, no, wait, wait, we were, we were like daydreaming. No, our, our back, we threw our back out last night. We can't bend down. I mean, there's no chance for them to even give any kind of an explanation. It's just like, uh, everybody's down but one, two, three, okay, y'all five dead. And that was their choice. Like, bow and live or stand and die. Immediately. Verse 8 says that when they didn't bow, it says at that time some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. you ever feel like there are people who are after you? They would just love to see you fail. Yes, yes. I mean, sometimes we just feel like we we have these people that just love to see us mess up, see us make mistakes, see us totally fail. Maybe it's so they can, you know, I'd like for your house to go into foreclosure because I want your house. Or I'd like for you to fail at your job because I want your position. And that word for denounce literally means to eat them alive. They want to eat, they want to devour these three because of their stand, just because they said, you know what, we've got our priorities in the right place, we're not going to bow. And their stand for the right priority actually brought out the worst in these people. And they were like, oh, really? We're not just going to make sure that you lose your job. We're going to devour you. Jot down on your sheet of paper, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8. Here's what I want you to know. This isn't just an Old Testament story. 1 Peter 5.8 says that those of us that live today that follow Jesus, that have made a declaration, we're going to make Jesus the number one priority in our lives. Do you know what 1 Peter 5.8 says? That we have an enemy. And guess what he does? He prowls around looking for someone who he can devour. Just like these guys. They took a stand, and people start trying to devour them. You take a stand, you have an enemy who wants to devour you. Don't be surprised by that. We talked about that last week. Don't be surprised that you come up against hard times. Don't be surprised that you get kind of thrown to the fire. This is what happens when you take a stand for Jesus. Verses 13 and 19 said that the king became furious with rage towards them. He wasn't thinking about anything but destroying them. I mean, he was, you ever seen people just get blinded with rage? And they don't even think about, like, what could happen to somebody else. It's just like, I'm just tunnel vision. Have you ever gotten so mad your chest gets tight and, like, you see the white stuff coming in around the edge of your eyes and all you can see is, like, the person that you want to strangle? And you would kill them if you could get away with it. And maybe would try it without even thinking about it. I mean, you could be in a crowded room with hundreds of people around you and you would just start hitting them in the face. And everybody else is looking at you going... Dude, like, we can see what you're doing, but you just can't, you're just so mad. That's what rage does. That's what happened to the king. These are three people that he's actually hired to be in charge of Babylon, and he's so mad at them, he's just filled with rage. It's like everything just, he's just like, I'm going to destroy you. And it says he wanted to destroy them so badly that he had the, the furnace turned up seven times hotter than normal. He had the strongest men that he could find come in, tie them up, pick them up, open the door, and throw them in. So he's so mad that he doesn't even care that the men that he called to put them in the fire got killed by the fire. I mean, there's, there's shrapnel going everywhere in this story, right? Because this king is so mad. And why is he mad? Because they stood for the right priority. Simple as that. And it got them thrown into the fire. Blind rage because of their unwillingness to make his priority their priority. So let's look at verse 15. This is where he wanted them to worship the image. And this is the question that kind of brought the whole thing to a head. Verse 15, he says, now, when you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and all kinds of music, if you're ready to fall down and worship the image I made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. And then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? And there's the question right there. Now, this is a great king. What a nice guy. Like, he found out that they didn't bow. So he brought them back in for their own little personal concert. Now, there's not a big crowd of people. It's just the three of them. And he looks at them and says, listen, here's the deal. Like, you already knew this before, and apparently something went wrong because no idiot would not bow because you know I'm going to kill you. So I'm going to play the music again. We're going to give you one more shot, and if you'll bow down, great. And if you don't, you're going in the furnace. And let me ask you this question, Big Three what God's going to save you then? And that's where we start to see a decision that they made a long time ago. They start to reveal publicly what they had already made in private. Here's what we think happens. I'll just determine my par- my priorities like whenever I need to. They 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 had spent time with God. Man, this was in their heart. They didn't have to. They didn't have to think, consider, wonder. When he said, I, I see them just standing there like listening, you know. And then when he said, What God is going to be able to deliver, rescue you from my hand? That was kind of like when they went what? She said, what God? We'll tell you what God. They began to make public a decision that had already been made in private. I love this story about John Wesley. Um, he's the guy that founded the Methodist church. He was in a, a boat one time and it was a really bad storm, you know? And so everybody's freaking out and praying and he's not praying. He's just kind of chilling, you know, on the boat in the storm. And the captain of the boat, kind of got mad at John Wesley. And he went and he said he said John Wesley he said like you're a you're a man of the cloth. What are you doing? I mean like do you see the storm, the waves? The, I mean everybody's freaking out and praying and you're not praying. What are you doing? And this was John Wesley's comment. He said, "I pray before the storm so that I can have peace in the storm." Priorities are determined way before you get asked a question by the king. What God is going to save you from my hand? That's not when you go, Uh, well, I think I've got it written down from a sermon I heard at the gathering. Oh, yeah, here it is. I'm supposed to say Jesus? Is that good? No. No, 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 no. These are things that you've determined way before you get to that point. Have you determined in your heart... That Jesus is the number one priority in your life, no matter what. And if you have, you're ready for that question. You're ready for it. I mean, when your world falls apart, when you find yourself up against it, when the relationship that you thought would never end is ending, and Satan says, who's going to save you now? You're going to be able to stand up and say to Satan what the three said to the king. And here's what they said. I think we get a lot of wisdom from this. Two things we can learn about priorities from their response. Number one, you can just write this down, okay? this is still We're still under. Being fireproof doesn't mean fire-free. Priorities are based on facts, not feelings. And here's the fact that they gave them. They said this. We don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter, verse 17, because if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it. That's the fact. Their party was not based on a feeling because I can guarantee you they weren't feeling the fire, right? I don't think they were whacked in the head. They weren't sitting there going, awesome, we're going in the fire. This feels great. I can't, I'm so excited. No, nah, that, that's, that's insanity, Right. Now, they they weren't feeling like I want to go on the fire, but their decision, their priority was not based on a feeling. It was based on a fact. My God is able to save, period. Fact. And then what was their next comment? But even if he does not, we want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Because priorities, they're not just based on facts, not feelings. They're also based on worth, not whims. You know what whims are, right? Whims are, that's a fun word, whimsical. A whim is just like, eh, whichever way the wind blows, that's the way I'm going to go. A whim is how politicians run their campaigns. Hey, let's take a poll, take a survey, let's find out what the people want, and then we'll tell them we'll do that. And they'll vote us in, and then maybe we'll do it, maybe we won't. Because when we think about doing what we said we were going to do, we'll take a poll, another poll, and figure out if they still want us to do it, and if they don't want us to do it, we won't do it. And it's like, that just wears me out, you know? Priorities, your priorities in your life, they cannot be determined on a whim. It's like fashion, you know? I mean, I kind of like the people that just dress the same all the time. And they just know every decade or so they're going to be in style. They save a lot of money on wardrobes. As opposed to, like you know, last week I bought this, but then next month it's going to be out of style, so I'll buy this, and I'm going to get this, and yeah, that's I don't want to live. A, I don't want to live my faith that way. I mean, I want to. I want to be. I want it to be based on worth. And notice what they said. Even if fact, our God can save us, but even if He doesn't, there's no way we're going to give our worship to your idol because your idol is not worth it. I heard a, a, a teaching by Beth Moore one time, and she was talking just about, you know, she was wrestling with God and kind of like, God, why does all this stuff have to happen? And I just, I don't, you know, I'm scared. I don't know how it's going to turn out. And he said this. He said, Beth, what's the worst that could happen? What's the worst that could happen? And she goes, well, you know, like, Satan kind of gets his way. Like, okay, if that were to happen, are you going to stop serving me? No. Then what's the problem? Like, she's just suddenly, it it dawned on her. The the worst that could happen isn't enough to take me away from Jesus. When the Bible says that nothing can separate us from the love of of God in Christ Jesus, it means nothing. Like, these guys are like, God's going to save us, and even if he doesn't save us, what you're asking us to do is so below Jesus. There's no, no way we would give our worship to anything but God. Priorities are based on worth, Not whims. If you're living with Jesus as a priority, I can assure you that you'll face fires. And Isaiah 43, 2, says it's a question of when, not a question of if, right? That's the verse that says, when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. So let's see what happens when we face the fire. Number two is being fireproof does mean proven in the fire. It doesn't mean fire free, but it does mean proven in the fire kind of goes without saying that you can't know you're fireproof if you're not put into a fire right that's where we're proven we see three things happen in the fire for these three men and i believe that same things can happen for us too here we go. the first thing that happens in the fire the invisible became visible the invisible became visible verse 24 then king neb leaped to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? And they replied, certainly, O king. And he said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire. In the fire, the invisible became visible. Uh, More than likely, the king wasn't bad at math. I mean, some people can't count to like a thousand, but most everybody can count to at least five, right? So I don't think he was going, okay, we got Shadrach, Meshach, I think that's four. I, don't, I think he knew there were three. I think Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also knew there were three. It's like, you know, if I say to you right now, those who are for you are more than those who are against you, if you've been in church most of your life, you'll do this. Oh, yeah, we know that's true. Do you see them? Not always. But in the fire you start to see them. I can only speak from my experience, but man, the fires that I've been through in my life, it's like suddenly the support that has been there all along that you couldn't see, it becomes visible. And you go, holy cow, I've had all these people on my side? That happens in the fire. The invisible becomes visible. Number two, the cords become powerless. I mean, the mightiest men around bound them with cords. I'm not much of an escape artist. I saw this guy on um, America's Got Talent, and he had these like it's like this big I don't know contraption with sharp stuff, and he had to get out of it really fast, a straight jacket, and then he had to like reach up and let himself free and fall down just before they went. <laughs> You know, and I know it's bad and all, but I'm the guy that kind of wants him not to get out. I just want to see what really does happen if he's not out in time. Like, does he die right there on America's Got Talent? And if he does, did they let him go through to Las Vegas, or do they just like I don't know, I'm just curious. But he got out in time, right? These guys were not escape artists. I mean, I don't think Shadrach Michigan a minute ago. They didn't go in there and start going, okay, guys, scope here. And Here, I got this, and use that little paper clip to get you out, and cut this with a little miniature saw that I happen to have in my pocket with a pocket knife that was invented before anything else. No, they weren't like that. They are just three guys in a fire. They had been bound tightly. You know, you know that they checked those cords. You know there was no way they were getting out. And in the fire, the cords became powerless. The king said, I see four men walk around in the fire unbound and unharmed. The things that are bound, binding you in your life, addictions, things that you, that thing you pray for a million times. Whatever it is for you. I've got one. <laughs> Whatever it is, and you just get on your knees and you just go, God, God, I know you're not even listening because I've prayed this like every night for the last year and every time I tell you I'll never do it again that's a cord. that's when you're bound up and lots of times what we think is if I can just stay out of trouble then I'll eventually figure out how to get out of that and what I want you to see is those cords came off in the fire number three and this is the one that I love the most Their testimony became their identity. Let me just make sure I explain that, okay? Because I really want you to get this. And I'm going to show you a clip and it's going to make sense. Their testimony became their identity. In other words, the big three were marked by the fire. If we took our time to go through the whole chapter, what you would see is the king this is not shocking okay but king nebuchadnezzar always called the big three the same thing which was shadrach meshach and abednego because that was their names that makes sense right shake your head it's not hard to understand he called them by their names so all the way through he's calling them shadrach meshach and abednego but what i want you to notice is he calls them something different when they come out of the fire you ready Verse 26, Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. It's the only time he calls them servants of the Most High God. Their testimony became their identity. They had been testifying all the way through. We're not bowing why aren't you going to bow? Oh, because we're servants of the most high God. But did he see them as servants of the most high God? No. He just saw them as these three guys that were stupid and didn't realize that he was going to kill them. But in the fire, the fire marked them. They got a new identity. They were no longer the guys who talk about God. They were the guys who served God. You will no longer be the church who talks about Jesus. You will be the church who is with Jesus. We will actually become little Christian, little Christ, Christ followers. They will not say, "Well, they talk a good game down at the gathering." I like that the guy. He teaches okay. They're always encouraging. You know, they got these really bright orange shirts. You know what they'll start saying? I don't. I don't know it's about those people, but like. They don't just talk it like they're living this stuff like they put their lives on the line for this stuff. I think they really believe this stuff. We become identified with Jesus in the fire. What I need you to understand is this. None of those three things, the invisible becoming invi- visible, the cords becoming powerless, the testimony becoming their identity, none of those three things happened outside the fire. Why does God make us fireproof? Because he knows that we have to go into a fire to have those three things happen in our lives. Now, that doesn't automatically make everything we're facing better, right? I mean, the, the people that we prayed for earlier, You're going to walk out of here probably into the very same situation you just walked in here from. But I want you to get this. When you focus on the right priorities, when you say, Jesus, I'm following you no matter what's going on around me. You are my focus. You are my priority. He literally makes you fireproof. And you can walk right back into that same situation and you are different because of Jesus. And you're going to find that the invisible becomes visible. And you feel alone right now. And you're going to walk back into that fire. And suddenly you're going to find help from places you never thought you'd find help from. It might not even be people. I mean, it literally could be you're going to read a verse in the Bible tomorrow. And suddenly it's like, I never saw that before. Ah, why do you see it now? Because in the fire, the invisible becomes visible. You're going to say, I should be weak. But I feel so much strength right now. Where is this strength coming from? Because in the fire, the cords that have you bound right now, they just become powerless. People are going to look at you differently. And you're going to wonder why. You're going to say, I don't feel any different. I mean, like, I'm still pretty sure, like, I've said all this before. And they're going to look at you and say, but there is something about you that's different. You, you don't just talk it. Like you, you do it. You're, it's it is you, your identity. Your testimony becomes your identity in the fire. And that's when it's good to know that God's in control of the heat, and He's going to use it for your good. And I know that's hard to accept when you're really in it. I mean, I can remember doing, I can remember being on my knees, grieving, and just racked, and just sobbing, and like you know, some of us in here, we're really good looking when we cry, aren't we? We're just like, oh, oh, I'm okay. I'm an ugly crier. I mean, like when I cry, really cry. It's like beads of sweat and snot and just, you know, I'm an ugly crier. And when you're really, really in the fire, when you're really in that bad place, I just want you to know, and maybe just by faith you have to know it now, but God's holding that. He's got the knob. There is no king turning the heat up seven times on you. God is in control of the fire. And he is going to mark your life with fire. And when he does, your identity is his child no matter what. It's a lot to take in. And so I thought probably the best way to wrap it up would be with a short clip from a fantastic movie about a fish named Nemo. mm hey. Ah ho ho ho, ah ho 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 ho. State your name. Nemo? Brother Bloat, proceed. Nemo! Newcomer of Orange and White! You have been called forth to the summit of Mount Wanahakalugi to join with us in the fraternal bonds of Tankhood. Huh? We want you in our club, kid. Really? (laughs) You are able to swim through... The Ring of Fire! Turn on the Ring of Fire. The Ring of Fire! You said you could do it. The Ring of Fire! Isn't there another way? He's just a bull! From this moment on, you will now be known as Sharkbait. Sharkbait! Welcome, brother Sharkbait! Sharkbait! Enough of the sharkbait. Sharkbait! Ooh! Just to close your eyes for a minute, let me read this verse over you. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Isn't there another way? He's just a boy. There is no other way to receive a new name than to pass through the fire. In the days when Revelation was written, in John's world, a white stone was used to vote not guilty in trial. Some have gone so far as to say that the white stone with your name on it, a name that only you and God know, is your ticket to what the Bible says is going to be a feast with Jesus and his bride. And there's no other way to get that. But in the fire. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego talked a great game because they really believed it. But the fire is what changed their testimony into their identity. And for some of you this morning, the fire is going to change you from someone who quotes verses about overcoming to being an overcomer. It will become your identity. And that is the greatest gift of all.